0: The following sermon is from Christ Church, Port Orange. For more information, find us online at joinwithjesus.org. Thanks for listening. Joshua chapter 24. If you have your Bible, you turn to Joshua 24, sixth book of the Old Testament. So start from the left and work your way forward. And we are in a series called Binge the Bible because as a church, we are reading through the scriptures in six months. We started this in January. We're being very ambitious. And I know a lot of you guys are falling behind and that's okay because there is no test at the end of this. Uh, This is only for your edification and enjoyment. If you are new to Christ Church and you want to participate in this, I would love for you to jump in right where we're at, because every Sunday, the sermons are going to reflect the reading from that past week. And this past week, we read uh, all of Joshua and all of Judges. And for those of you over-eager, A-plus, Jesus Point Christians, you woke up this morning and read the whole book of Ruth, so you can pat yourselves on the back. Good job. So Ruth is today, and then tomorrow we're starting in 1 Samuel, which is really where the history of Israel, after kind of concluding the kind of early history in Genesis all the way through the wilderness wandering in Deuteronomy, and then the conquest of Canaan under the leadership of Joshua, and the period of the Judges, 1 Samuel is like next in line. So Ruth is actually stuck in there because... Joshua is so dark and so dismal that you need some relief. And so Ruth is a little shining light of what was going on that was good during the horrible era of the Judges. But uh, 1 Samuel is what picks up from Judges. So you can start that. And you can do that by downloading the UVersion app from the Google Play or App Store. Make sure you get the right one because there's a lot of um, Bible apps. This is UVersion. And if you're in UVersion, you can search. this little search feature and you can find Christchurch, Port Orange. You have to type in all four words because there's many Christchurches and you will find one and it might not be ours. And I'm sure it'll be great, but it won't be us. So Christchurch, Port Orange. And then you'll see featured plans. You can start it. And then just skip over to day 43, which is tomorrow. And this is really cool. But this week we are passing the 25% of the way through the Bible. So Wednesday we'll have read 25% of the Bible. Isn't that pretty cool? Goes by pretty fast when you're doing it at this pace. One of the reasons I'm excited about this also is that when you read the Bible this many chapters at a time, this many days in a row, you start to see things you never saw before because we're so used to interacting with the Bible in little short stories and paragraphs and sermons and coffee mug verses that we don't really, all of us, have a very good handle on the story. But all of the prominence and the focus of who Jesus is and what God's doing in our generation today develops from the story. So you want to know the story, and in fact, the more of the story you know, the more the scriptures that you read and that are familiar to you are gonna have depth and meaning and application in ways that you never experienced before. So this, I'm gonna keep reading the Bible in six months, I think forever, because I'm enjoying it so much, and if you haven't had that experience yet, give it a try, see if it's for you, but it's been a wonderful journey, and this morning, we're going to cover some select readings from both Joshua and Judges, and one of the reasons I wanna do this is when you read these two books together, The contrast between them emerges a picture for us that is so powerful. And I believe the Holy Spirit is speaking something to this church this day in our generation from these two books kind of held side by side. And so I want to start in kind of an atypical way. I want to start this morning by reading the very last verse of both books. Isn't that odd? I want to read the last verse of both books and then I want to pray. And I just want to tell you before I read them. What I wanna pray for is that every single one of us would come to recognize the rightful kingship of Jesus. And more than that, would bow our own knee in daily dependence and following of him. And I don't think that there's a way for the transformation, the prosperity, the flourishing that God wants to bring into the earth is going to happen in any more of a profound way in this generation than the more of us who actually just acknowledge that Jesus is king and start to live that way in our own personal lives. And that's what Joshua and Judges hold out for us in history and in real time as we read them together. And so this is going to, kind of show you in Joshua and Judges how the covenant conquest of God's people, which at this point ends up being the high point of the Israel story so far, is immediately followed by this convoluted chaos that kind of devolves into into Judges and becomes really the low point in the story. And so we're gonna have some highs and some lows today. Um, And I wanna read one verse from each of these books and then ask the Lord to, to help us. Joshua 24, 31, Judges 21, 25. Here's what it says. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the work that the Lord did for Israel. Judges twenty-one twenty-five. In those days, there was no king in Israel. And everyone did what was right in his own eyes. God, we thank you for your word that opens blind eyes to see. God, we love that you have designed our relationship with you to be on the basis of faith and faith that comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Lord, we thank you for the riches of your word that have been recorded for us, translated with such care, and are available to us to meditate upon and to understand. God, I just pray for your help as we're gonna kind of survey our way through these two books briefly. God, we're gonna hit a couple little hot spots that I feel like your spirit wants to direct our attention to. But I just pray that, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to receive what you are saying from your word today. And God, I pray for us as a church, and I pray for every single individual in my hearing, Lord, that we would get a better picture, a vivid awakening of who Jesus truly is and our need for him to be our king. God, I pray for those who are distant or disengaged or cynical. God, I pray that you would make yourself so clear and by your spirit, God, you would draw them toward you. God, lift up Jesus and transform every single one of us. God, we, we are your plan to bring good news of great joy to all people. And so fill us with your spirit. Strengthen us, we pray. In Jesus' mighty name, all God's people said, amen. Amen, amen, amen. So um, I'm glad you guys are here you may have run into some traffic on the way here, especially if you came from north of International Speedway Boulevard, because today is the Daytona 500. They call it the Super Bowl of motorsports, but I think they should call the Super Bowl the Daytona 500 of football. That's what I think. And so I'm glad that you're here and I'm glad that you made it. And this afternoon, 100,000 roaring fans are going to stand to watch Cars Drive Fast in a circle, turning one direction for hours and it's going to be awesome and so our family's been to two races already this weekend and here's what hit me was in the stands uh, they start every race with an invocation a call to prayer and I'm telling you some of these guys this guy that prayed from Calvary on Friday night he got he like preached the whole gospel in his 13 second prayer he got it all in the whole thing it was catechismic It was awesome. And uh, everybody stood for the national anthem. All the hats came off. All the bedhead was visible. (laughs) Proud Americans held their hats over their hands. We listened to the national anthem. And it was a a beautiful reverence. And when that gentleman was praying and then everybody kind of said amen all at the same time, it felt like just a church service for a minute with lots of beer. (laughs) Just, Just slightly not what you would expect. But what I'm excited about is not the crowds that are drawing to Daytona to watch this biggest event of the year at the World Center of Racing, but the fact that King Jesus, high and lifted up, is being praised by congregations that follow the sun as it rises over the planet and continually given allegiance by every person who bows the knee and is living life to bring the kingdom of heaven on earth, and that is what we are a part of. Amen. That's good news. And stock car racing is fun. Joshua is a part of this story. Joshua is the story of a transition of leadership and a new generation of Jesus followers who don't know their Jesus followers. Uh, followers of Yahweh, the nation of Israel, the 12 tribes under the command of Joshua who takes Moses's place as the leader and into a new era. They're led through the Jordan the same way that um, Moses led the people out of Egypt and through the Red Sea. And now there's this kind of new covenant renewal of circumcision and this baptism of types that goes through the Jordan and the conquest Begins. And so this is what Joshua is about. And the book of Joshua is by far the brightest spot in the Bible to date as we have been reading it. Because the people of Israel are actually listening to their leader and responding affirmatively and then mostly doing what they're told with only a few slight hiccups along the way. And so when you read Joshua, you go, Yeah, it's going to be okay only to then turn your attention to Judges where everything immediately falls apart and falls apart in the worst possible way that you can imagine to the point where I'm asking my 13-year-old daughter to stop reading Judges at chapter 18 and please not read 19, 20, and 21. So if you want to know how to get middle school students to read the Bible, tell them not to read (laughs) Judges 19, 20, and 21, and they will just run to read those sections to find out what's in there. In fact, early translators of the Bible in the fourth century did not translate Judges 19. And so if you had a Bible in German or or, um, some of the other romance languages, chapter 19 of Judges would still be in Latin. So only the learned would be able to read it. So vile is what you find there. And so you have this kind of like crazy dramatic experience of high highs and low lows. But both of those function to draw attention to the reality that the people of God need a king a leader, but a leader who is capable of doing more than physical conquest and war, a leader who is capable of transforming the heart and transforming the life. So this is what the story leads us up to. And of course, all these stories are ultimately about Jesus. Joshua 1, 1 gets us going and introduces us to Joshua, the main character, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise and go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, and check this phrase out, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness of this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river of Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. You will always find the promises of God attended by the presence of God and the promise that God will never abandon those who he has called. Amen. He continues to strengthen Joshua with these words in verse six, be strong and courageous for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left hand that you may have good success wherever you go. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. Somebody say prosperous. And then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go see these verses encapsulate the stability that we can have by faith on the promises of God because the promises of God are true and trustworthy in every generation do you know that listen we need to be reminded of this because we are constantly in a world that is growing do you guys feel like time is passing faster than it used to my dad used to say things and I thought you're weird old man and as I get older, I realize, man, the days are very slow and long, and the years are very fast and scary. And regularly, you're looking back and reflecting on how much the world has changed since you looked up last 24 years ago. Yes? And you start to look to the future and wonder, what will things be like 5, 10, 20 years from now? And it should make you have a little heart palpitation, because if it changed this much in this amount of time, what's going to happen next? And will it only be worse? These are the feelings that we all have. Can I get an Amen. Yeah. And so we have this tendency to, with nostalgia, romanticize the past and dread the future. And with that disposition, we then hang a terrible future on the generation in front of us. In fact, we oftentimes blame it on them. Now, I've experienced this in the full spectrum because I am a Gen Xer. And for a while, everything was my fault. (laughs) And now we have millennials and Gen Z, and now we can blame it on them. And so the heat is off of me. In fact, now everyone's looking to me as the hope for the future to pay you all social security, yeah. right? You see how this whole shifts? And now we get this pressure on these miserable young people and all of their failure and how they're letting the whole world go into hell in a handbasket and all of this br- 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 chatter that happens. But I am here to tell you that that is not our story. Our story is of faithfulness of a God who made promises and fulfills those promises in every generation. And isn't that good news? And he does that by raising up leaders and presenting those leaders with courage and strength by faith to a generation to fulfill their purposes in this generation. And that should be encouraging for every single one of us. We should not look to the future as being ultimately dismal. Why? Because God has been faithful. And he is being faithful now, and he will be faithful then. Instead, we should be asking who has God provided for us to lead, and how should we go there? Be strong and very courageous. And that's the good news. The bad news is the reason things are the way they are is because people are the same in every generation. A lot of times we like to talk about our differences, our generational differences. You know, we've got all these generations we talk about from the greatest generation to Gen Z presently. And we talk mostly about how different they are but the reality is when you open the Bible and you read these stories that took place thousands of years ago is we're all not that different than our predecessors before. We're not a whole lot different from each other now. Look at Joshua 1, 16 to 18. So Joshua charges the people to follow God and here's what they say. All that you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. You're like, okay, positive, thumbs up. And then get verse 17. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. If I was Joshua, I'd be like, don't obey me like that. Do not. I just read that book. Do not obey me like you've obeyed him. If that's what you're promising, I changed my mind. <laughs> Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him, he shall be put to death. Whew. Only be strong and courageous. You see, whenever God's doing something exciting, we're also very quick to move toward it and be very affirming about it. But there's a big difference between acknowledging the work of God and saying that's God and that's good, and then sticking with it when things get hard. And this is why we need a leader. This is why we need a king. This is why we need a leader who can change our hearts, transform our hearts, and fix our eyes not on the world as it appears, but on the world as it is. And this is why when God is going to interact with a new generation, he's going to do things differently, but he's always going to reveal himself. And so in Joshua chapter 5, verses 10 to 15, the people of Israel do a genuine thing. They draw near to God by keeping his Passover. And so now they're doing the very thing God commanded Joshua, keep the law, the book of Moses, just as it was told to you. And they go, okay. And so they keep the Passover in John in Joshua chapter 5, verses 10 to 15. And then it says in verse 12, They ate the Passover, they went through the Jordan and then they ate of the fruit of Canaan. And it says in verse 12, and that day, the manna ceased. The day after they ate the produce of the land, there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. Think about this for a second. What was that like to be a 20, 30, 40 something who watched your whole preceding generation of your parents and grandparents die in the wilderness and your whole entire life You've had God miraculously provide manna from heaven every single day and twice on Friday. You put your tarps out and you wake up every morning and you shake up your manna and you take it inside and you make you some manna bread. <laughs> you know, for dinner, manicotti. you just manna, 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 manna. All the time, this is how God provides. You get used to how God provides and you feel good about how God provides. And God says, this is a temporary arrangement where I'm feeding you bread from heaven, but I'm gonna bring you into a land flowing with milk and honey and this is gonna be your land. You're gonna enjoy this land. And how exciting that is. Then you step into the new thing God is doing. And you go, this is awesome. And then the manna stops. What did that feel like? I wonder how many empty tarps there were that first morning. Uh, what are we supposed to do without the frosty flakes? <laughs> Make your way into Canaan this is your land. Do you see this? And so there's always a faith that is required in every single generation for God to do a new thing. But God also, he doesn't only call you in to do something new that's different from the past, but he also reveals himself in new and powerful ways, in ways that you need to understand God. Look at verse 13. When Joshua was by Jericho, this is the first and large fortified city in the first battle that Joshua would lead. He lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. Okay, now here, let's try to like contemporize this. Imagine for a moment, you walk in, you see a man and a man reaches back into the back of his belt and he pulls out his Glock 9 and he points it at you. How are you feeling right now? Not very good. Not very good. And so you asked the same question Joshua would ask. Um, are you on our side? <laughs> Joshua went to him and said, are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, no, neither. But I am the commander of the army of the Lord. And now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped him and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now that phrase should get your attention if you've just read the Pentateuch because these are the words that Moses heard out of a bush in the wilderness that was on fire but not consumed. And so here you are experiencing the divine revelation that joshua needed to follow the command of the lord and do you see how god reveals himself to different people in different ways god meets with moses the shepherd who's in the wilderness and he does so through a bush that should be consumed but is on fire but not consumed and then he spends 40 years leading him through the wilderness by a pillar of smoke and fire with a people who ought to be consumed but are not do you see the connection here And Moses always has that to look back to, to say, here is the God who revealed himself to me, the God who told me, I am that I am, who gave me every direction and who fulfilled every one of his promises. And now Joshua is starting on his journey, but he isn't running on Moses' revelation. Now he's having an encounter with God for himself. And what is God revealing to Joshua about his power? His strength to conquer. He is the commander of the Lord's army in this revelation, but the call is the same. Take off your shoes because you have come into the presence of God himself. So powerful. This obviously gives way into the battle of Jericho, which God gives very strange and explicit instructions about how it's to be conquered, and it is. And then the story of Ai and Achan, who steals and keeps some of the devoted things for himself and brings judgment on his household and defeat in the second battle. And so you see these kind of stories unfold. And the picture here is we've got to have We've got to have a ongoing open relationship with God that's based on his word and in truth. And if you're not willing to do that, then you can expect defeat and not success. And so you get to chapter eight when Joshua was going to renew this covenant with God after the judgment on Achan and his family. And at that time, Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel on Mount Ebal. And look at verse 31, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the people of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses an altar of uncut stones, which no man has wielded an iron tool. That's Deuteronomy 27, verse six. And they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And there in the presence of the people of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written." And all Israel, sojourner as well as native-born, with their elders and officers and their judges, stood on opposite sides of the ark before the Levitical priests who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord, half of them in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded at the first to bless the people of Israel. Now, it's a long scripture. Some of you are already, you're lost. You're thinking about lunch right now already. Where is this going? But look at what happens next. And afterward, Joshua read all the words of the law, the blessing and the curse, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before the assembly of Israel and the women and the little ones and the sojourner who lived among them. He read the whole first five books of the Old Testament. You thought this was a long service. Like that's a lot of scriptures. Oh, buckle up. Think about this for a second. That's why this matters. Joshua here is making things right with God after someone in their assembly didn't do what was right with God. And he does so according to, just as Moses had instructed him. See, when you are following King Jesus, you are playing by his rule book and not your own. Do you understand this? And his rule book is here and it is clear and it ought to be a treasure to all of us. Part of the reason I'm trying to provoke people to read the Bible in six months is not so you can tick it off on your spiritual belt and go, I've read the Bible and I read it fast. It doesn't matter. What should matter is that you know God and his word is precious to you and that its truth is deep inside of you. And so when you face dilemmas, you have the access to know what should I do in this situation? What would God require of me? What does love look like in this dilemma where there is confusion? What is the truth? And I know the truth because he's my king. I know the truth because he set me free. I know how to discern error and falsehood from that which is good, when often they are presented folded on top of each other and flat for me to receive entirely. No, because I know the truth, and the truth is in the Scriptures. And so we don't apologize for being people of the Scriptures. We don't apologize for being on a lifelong journey of understanding what God has said and taking it very seriously. Because this is where you receive the direction from your king. And this is what happened. In fact, the very next section of Joshua, if you read it, what you get is one of the mistakes that happens in this book. It's mostly good. Here's one of the bad things. It's called the, the Gibeonite deception. So here's Joshua leading the, the armies. He's got God on his side. He's slaying every nation, just as God said. He's taking over all this land that God is using Israel as the sword of judgment against the Amorites. And he's coming up on a group of cities. And one of these cities is Gibeon. And Gibeon has got big, strong warriors. They've got chariots. They could. I mean, on on paper, they would beat the Israelites, but they're terrified because God is with the Israelites, and the Israelites are winning when they shouldn't win. And so here's what they do. They do a Jacob. They do an Israel. They do a sneak attack. They present themselves like they've come from very far away, And they've made a long journey, not not close. We're not neighbors. We're from very far away. So they get worn out clothes on and they put old, crusty, moldy food in bags and they take old wineskins, all crusty and crunchy and they show up pretending to be far away. We would love to make peace with Israel. We have heard about your your great feats from afar and we want to be your servants. Make us your servants, right? This is like Aladdin. Where where is Agrabah on the map? Where'd you say you were from? Chapter 9. 13 and 15, when the wineskins, these wineskins were new when we filled them. Behold, they have burst. And these garments and sandals of ours are worn out from the very long journey. Look at verse 14, this is tragic. So the men took some of their provisions. So they looked with their eyes, felt with their hands, but did not ask counsel from the Lord. And Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them and let them live. And the leaders of the congregation swore to them. And thus begins in seed form the infiltration of the outside influence that leads to idolatry because the people of God use their fingers and their eyeballs and not their faith. See, we need the scriptures absolutely 100%, but we also need an ongoing dynamic relationship with God by his Holy Spirit. And through prayer, we need to face every situation and not immediately go, what does this look like to me? How have I seen this before? Uh, what, how does this present itself? And what would be the right choice in my eyes? And instead to go, let me talk to the Lord about it. Because when you start with going to the Lord and asking for his counsel, well, he knows what you don't know. And he sees what you don't see. And he is for you and not against you. And so Joshua kind of starts to end on a high note in chapter 21. 21. It says, the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give their fathers. They took possession of it and they settled there and the Lord gave them rest on every side just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them for the Lord had given all their enemies in their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. And when the people of Israel are gathered around Israel, Joshua, at the end of this conquest, when Joshua was old and gray, Joshua has this final speech and the most famous verse in all of Joshua occurs here, not at the beginning of Joshua, not when Joshua is young, but in Joshua's old age, this is what we read. He quotes what God has done in verse 13 of 24. I gave you land, which you had not labored in cities that you had not built and that you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. And Joshua says, now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river in Egypt, serve the Lord. And if it is evil, and listen to this phrase, in your eyes to serve the Lord, will choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I love this passage. And I love having a church with some people who have been following God for a long time. And they know the difference between where they've been and what they've seen and what's in front of them. And I love having people around me who've gone before me who can say, listen, you make your choice now. Forget this. We'll see. Forget this. We'll check it out. We'll see how it feels when we get there. I don't know. I'm, he says, today decide. He's putting you to, to make a decision. He's saying, I'm I'm making my choice right now. But this was a choice that Joshua had made every single day for years and years and decades and decades. And he's standing as an example. And I thank God that there are godly men and women from a previous generation who are willing to stand up and be bold and put the youngest generation on the spot and say, you choose. You choose. You wanna go back there? Choose now. If it's evil in your sight, if you don't like what God is doing, pick now. None of this, we'll see when we get there. No, no, no. If you wanna go astray with what's presented for you right now, you wanna worship TikTok, go for that. You want that? But choose now. As for me and my house though, we're gonna serve the Lord. And so you get Joshua 24, 31 and it comes to a conclusion, Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the work that the Lord did for Israel. And then you come to Judges Wah, wah, wah. Now, I don't have any time to preach a sermon on judges, but I actually did a whole series on judges, which you can find on our website. It's entitled Unlikely Heroes, and we went through all the judges, and it was so fun and deplorable. But Judges starts off on a low tone, even retelling of the passing of the baton from Moses to Joshua and the conquest in one summation of a chapter. In verse 27 of Judges 1, which is not on the screen, you're gonna get this off-repeated phrase. Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants, and Ephraim did not drive out the Canaanites, and Zebulun did not drive out the inhabitants of Kitron, and Asher did not drive out the inhabitants of Echo, and Naphtali did not drive drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shemeth, but became subject to forced labor for them. And so they swapped out what God had said for something that seemed better to them and the institution of slavery is put on full display. And what a corruption, what a corruption. And it became the downfall of all of Judges. Now, Judges, details for us in Judges 2, 10 to 19, which I won't read for you, details the unfaithfulness of Israel about how they turned their back on everything the Lord had said. But there's one verse that I wanna point out to you. In Judges 2.10, it says, and all the generation also were gathered to their fathers. Those, and then there arose another generation after them, listen, this is heartbreaking, who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And so they start a cycle of idolatry, which is essentially divine adultery, cheating on God, their covenant God, breaking his heart and incurring upon him his on themselves, his judgment. And then they cry out to God. And because he loves his people, he responds in, sa- in salvation. And he does so by raising up leaders in this book called Judges. And he is moved, verse 18 tells us, moved to pity by their groaning. And so you read the stories of Othniel and Ehud and Shamgar and Deborah and Gideon and Abimelech and Tola and Jair and Jephthah. And then all of you guys read Jephthah and you go, what's with Jephthah sacrificing his daughter? What's going on there? How many of you guys had that question? Oh, you read it, you're like, this is not good. What? This sounds right and is very wrong. And that's the point of Judges. It, it devolves into a convoluted chaos. You start getting things that sound like things God had said mixed with the exact opposite of what God had said. People think they're doing good when they're doing evil. Things that are obvious evils are put forward like they're a religious practice and it's wrong and you can't make heads or tails of it. If you read Judges and thought, I'm confused, that's the point. Why? Because everyone's doing what is right in their eyes, and there was no king in Israel. In fact, the only bright spot, aside from the repeated and temporary deliverance of God's people through the judges he raised up, even though they declined to become worse and worse and worse down to Samson, the only bright spot is in the Gideon story in Judges chapter 8. After Gideon has delivered the people from their enemies, they want to make him king. And it says in 8.22, the men of Israel said to Gideon, rule over us, you and your son and your grandson also, for you have saved us from the hand of Midian. You know what Gideon said? No, I will not rule over you and my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. And they flatly ignore him and move on to the next sucker because it's not in their heart to be led. It's not in their heart to be led in the knowledge of God. But this is where the good news gets better because it's not Joshua that is the bright spot of the Old Testament. And it's not the lack of a leader in kings that is the low spot because the reality is is that God's people have always had a king. In fact, humanity has a king. His name is Jesus. Eternal with the Father, the everlasting Son of God, begotten of God and born into humanity and triumphed over hell, death, and the grave, stomping that ancient serpent and setting humanity free to live with him forever. There is a king, brothers and sisters, and he is a king who saves, and he is a king who will come to judge. I just think it's interesting that these books are called Joshua and Judges. Joshua, Hashea, means Yahweh saves. In fact, ye Hashea is shortened to Yahshiah, which became Yeshua, which we pronounce Jesus. Do you know that? Jesus said he did not come into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. But a day is coming when he will return, and when he returns, he does not return as savior. He returns as judge, and he will judge the world by the righteous one man, Jesus. And every single one of us who are in Christ by faith will be judged by God as if we were Christ ourselves, because we are in him. And every other person will give an account to God for the deeds they have done in the body, whether good or bad, but they will be judged. And this is where we are in the story, brothers and sisters. I'm so grateful that I don't have to take up a sword, that God has not called me into a period of time when the purposes of God are conquests and genocide. But instead we are sent into a world of spiritual darkness and the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are spiritual. We are taking down the lies of the enemy with the truth of Jesus. We are standing in the the gap for people under the power of the evil one. And we are through the righteous prayers availing much to deliver. We are the people who bring good news of great joy to all people. We are the people who stand up and say, there is a King and his name is Jesus. But that truth will only go so far as every day you are willing in your heart to bow your knee before him. Do you know that? Your testimony and your purpose in this world, in this generation, will only be as effective as every single morning when you open your eyes to say, good morning, King Jesus, reporting for duty. But when you live your life with a Jesus sticker on your bumper, but you seated on the throne in your heart, you are just as convoluted as a world that has no king. And our generation is in desperate need for people who know the truth and they know the true one. That's my king. And I I hope you know him. Listen, the good news is that Jesus has a crown and Jesus has the keys. Hebrews 2, 8 and 9. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing. Somebody say nothing. Nothing outside of his control. At present, we do not see everything in subjection to him. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus. We see him crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. His crown is a crown of thorns and it is the source of my peace. His throne is a throne of resurrection. And it is the source of my transformation. And so every day I bow my knees to the king of the universe who wears the throne and has the right to rule and reign. And inasmuch as we're willing to do that, we can stand up for truth. Listen, we live in a world that wants to fold evil up inside of good and pass it to us and say, consume this. And it is on our shoulders to be a generation that says, absolutely not. We can discern the good from the bad. We can call evil, evil and good, good. And we can stand up and be bold and be willing to suffer because of who our king is, because he wears a crown. But he's also got the keys. You know, when Jesus showed up to John on Patmos in the Revelation, you remember that? He saw him as the returning King Jesus who came to judge. There was a sword coming out of his mouth. His eyes were blazing fire. His body was like gold shining bronze. He was coming for war. But what did he have on his hip? Jingle, jingle, jingle. He's got the keys to death and Hades. There is no power that can stand against him. There is no enemy that can prevail against him. There is no place you can find where you are too lost to be delivered. He is the God who rules and he is the God who saves. That's my Jesus. Now, listen to this verse. It's my last verse. We're done because we've got more people coming in. Listen to this verse with new ears. This is the resurrected Jesus speaking. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. It sounds like, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do all the law that my servant Moses gave you, and I am with you always, and I will not forsake you. Sound familiar? Listen, we are on mission, brothers and sisters. This life is not all there is. It is not in the realm of politics. It is not in the realm of culture. It is not in the realm of education. It is not the media company's fault. It is the mission of the church of Jesus to stand up for truth and demonstrate the love of God. And this is how the world gets changed. And that's your invitation. That's your invitation. I want you to be on the right side of the army of God, the commander of the army. I want you to bow the knee before Jesus. And maybe that's the first time for you today to say, okay, things are a little different than I perceived when I got here. But there is a king and you are not him. And the only right response is to start by saying, yes, King Jesus, come in here and live in this heart. And then you give yourself to him every single day and you watch what happens. God, I thank you for your word. Thank you for the the clarity it brings us when we just read it. God, thank you for the hope and the strength and the power we find when we encounter you and Jesus, I just pray, I pray for the generation in front of me. God, I pray that they would have an encounter with you, the living God, that would shape the course of their life. God, I pray that you would reveal yourself in truth for what is needed in this generation. I pray that you would raise up leaders who would live boldly and choose you every day and not be afraid to put people on the spot, not be afraid to call evil, evil, and good, good. And God, I pray for every one of us who's kind of given up a little and we're just rolling on yesterday's momentum. God, I pray that you would fill us with strength and courage to stand up, to be an example, to strengthen those in front of us. God, that we would be emissaries of truth and love in this generation. God, do your work in us, we pray. Jesus' mighty name, and all God's people said, amen, amen, amen. amen. Hey, if you're here, and you, were gonna, you prayed that prayer for the first time, you needed to bow your knee to Jesus, and you did that in your seat, our prayer teams are here. They'd love to pray with you before you leave, and so you are not in a rush. Come up here and let us pray for you. Everybody else, go. Go, 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 go. God bless you.